Welcome to Network Capital, Rohan. Thank you. In this podcast, we try and really understand why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us very briefly who you are and what you do today. Okay. So my name is Rohan Manchanda. Very fairly standard story. I was born in Lucknow, but did not stay there too long. Then family moved to Faridabad, which were my formative years. And I think towards the end of 10th grade, MBA became kind of like a cornerstone because very typical parental mindset that until unless you go to an MBA, you will not be considered 10th pass. So I was very driven by... Of course. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I want to be candid also at this point of time because like that smile on my mother's face when she was watching cat videos, etc. On When I say cat, like the common admission test. Sort of yeah, of course. <laughs> CNBC. So her face lit up and then she said, like, okay, do an MBA. And then at that point of time, I also told myself that, okay, this like seemed like a viable option and professional success may or may not come, but at least the probability of professional success definitely increases by doing an MBA. So I had a traditional career path, did engineering from Bitspilani, 9 to 13, joined Accenture Strategy in their consulting division, focused on retail, automotive, and a little bit of pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. Um, after about two years, I think, I was also searching for more personal impact that can I have more success. So at that point of time, Mr. Tata, who had like left the reins of Tata Sons and taken over the philanthropies, which are 125-year-old institutions, so he wanted to professionalize them and make, like, make sure that they're becoming newer and more agile. So he wanted some young people, young blood to come and like execute from the word go, change from a grant-giving organization to more project-focused and execution-oriented. So I got, like, at least I had the good fortune of getting an offer from the Tata Trust to work on his pet projects, mostly around healthcare, nutrition, water, and sanitation. So joined the Tata Trust in 2015, July. Um, very quickly after six months, uh, he sent me to work for the Indian government. That's where my Indian government stint happened, where I started working on Swaj Bharat. I was stationed at the Ministry of Drinking Water and Sanitation, mostly working on policy and execution, mm-hmm. working along with states, different districts, um, had the time of my life, saw what scale looks like, saw what minority, majority, how, how different, like really it is to enact one policy for 1.35 billion people and then thoughts on leadership, management also changed, had another good opportunity to manage around 450 odd people across, which I wrote about in my Stanford application that, okay, that was a definition of professional success for me, which is also what mattered most to me at that point of time. It still does that I'm very much driven by success slash impact or slash massive impact. Um, so tell us more about that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, conventional wisdom and like this is where I want to begin Stanford also. I think I hate the idea of failure. I don't want to romanticize it. I want to learn from my own mistakes. But I think what has kept me driven was small successes or large successes in part and that's what I was continuously searching for and whenever I thought that okay growth in success is not happening like I need to make a shift so that consistency of decision making I thought I had maintained in my life and that that has always been a driving factor in at least I would say in my personal professional emotional and social life in all of these four dimensions I've strived for success or I do not want to fail for the lack of better words. Yeah. But I'm I'm fine accepting failure as as it comes along. So yeah, that was that was that was Indian government. I worked there for about two to two and a half years. Got the Stanford admit, applied round two and then um, 
came back to Tata Trust to work on cancer care because I really wanted to work on healthcare again. Something that I really came did. back from. So the Indian government stint ended in January 18, which is when I had also received my Stanford admit, and then I said that I do want to go back work only on trust projects and not with the Indian government because I thought that became very monotonous. I I I found it very very impatient to deal with a lot of different set of stakeholders which were there at central state and district level also. So I went back. um worked on the cancer cancer care program which i dealt with state governments but in a more senior capacity so came with again renewed thoughts on what management looks like what mistakes i have taken what mistakes i have committed as like a 20 something who was managing a decently large cadre of people so came came back there worked till the start of my mba at stanford and then went to stanford yeah personally i really enjoyed running quite a bit i I won't call myself a long distance runner but every single day I would 10 to 11 kilometers or something. I do enjoy running. I love humor. <laughs> um keeps me going I think. And so yeah that's that was So um this so, conversation let's break it down into uh pre Stanford at Stanford and post Stanford, right. all right? So pre Stanford when you're supposed writing a question like what do you do and why or what matters most to you right. how should how did you start thinking about that question because it's really vague right sometimes how do you at 25 or 27 how do you know what you what matters most to you correct tell us how you went about it so i like again against conventional wisdom people said that okay do some deep reflection and then see what patterns emerge a part of that was reflection but how i perceived it was if i have had consistency of decision making in my entire life if i have been presented with certain set of opportunities like let's say 10 opportunities and i've chosen a b c d e f g h and if they present a common theme that will show stanford and i do not even have to tell them that okay this is what matters most to me so that consistency of decision making and me saying no to certain opportunities at that point of time I literally wrote them down on a piece of paper and then said that this is what I have chosen my So what did you write on that piece of paper? So yes, I mean I I had three or four different opportunities at my point of life and it was very very so Accenture, Tata Trust yes. and government. Yes, so one was like should I do engineering versus not do engineering. One hey, was, you're an Indian guy. You I'm sort an, of I'm an Indian to, guy. Yeah. yeah? Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. So Yeah. No, that way that consideration came, but yeah. I think Like Stanford accepted that honestly that okay is an Indian guy who's going to do engineering anyway because that yeah. is the accepted norm. But apart from that, what are the other opportunities which I had? One was like going to special class railway apprentice, which was like a decently prestigious program in Jammu. I don't think right? everyone would know what what is that. So special class railway apprentice, for the lack of better words, is the IAS of the railways. Mm-hmm. And it was started by the Britishers. Now the program has been stopped. but at the start at the age of 18 you're sent to jamalpur where your class 1 service starts so railways are i would say the only services in india which are not administered by the ias mm-hmm. so that way the the charm of scra for people who wanted to be in railways and command mm-hmm. when aviation was not that big was pretty 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 compelling um so my father had asked me that okay you should apply to this so i received all india rank 16 around 1 and 1/2 lakh people still used to give the exam when i gave it in 2009 so i had the option of either joining pilani or going to scra going to scra so at that point of time i chose pilani because i was 
interested in engineering and I thought that engineering would probably give me the skills which are valuable in the future and not be in government service. Right. So that is one of the things which I thought were very pivotal moments in my career, me saying no to that. Um, second was of course like when I was choosing different job opportunities. Out of undergrad. Uh, out of undergrad, right? Yeah. And most people do not write about this in the Stanford essay, they would write something softer, softer but I chose that okay let me just tell why I chose Accenture over a banking job or mm. a venture capital job. So I just said that okay this was something I, was, I wanted to gain problem solving skills and which is why I chose. So again like me saying no to one opportunity and choosing the other because it gave me slightly more success, slightly more impact. Um, so I wrote about that. Then it was, I wrote about a couple of opportunities which I received at the Tata Trust, like a couple of project opportunities and me saying no to staying in the trust versus going to the Indian government and accepting that role because again that would have meant more success, more impact at that point of time for me and I said that this, is, this has been something which is extremely gratifying because I learned to lead above me, below me, make mistakes and the kind of freedom of decision making mm -hmm. I've had in the in government was something truly, truly unique and which was, this, this was my essay one. So you've written yeah. essay one being what matters most to you in Correct. life. So you've written all of these things down, very interesting framework. Um, when you were synthesizing it, writing it down on paper, what challenges did you face and how did you overcome them? Because it's not an easy question, right? Like, it, is, it is not an easy question at all. I yeah. think um, because the question literally is what matters most to you and why. The why I think, like firstly for me answering like why does success matter most to you and like yeah. why not? Or why do you not like failure? Why do you not like failure? I think yeah. those were the biggest challenges I had to confront. Or why a lot of people end up writing about their family, a lot of people write about their personal experiences or mm. they value freedom or some some softer quality like that, but I was choosing a theme which was, which was not, which is not very conventional. It's something which, which goes very anti-Stanford philosophy, where they romanticize, not romanticize failure, but they say like, okay, if you fail, you'll have growth, right? So they yeah. are believers in growth mindset. So, getting over that challenge of why literary success mattered most to you was, was, was something like which I struggled with, and how I answered this was that. I've been able to give up such small, small things in life, which included birthdays of my family, weddings in my family, or me playing cricket for three years straight, something which I like really, really love, right? But something which is very, very small, I think that paved the way for a very innocent essay, and I think that that kind of did the job. Innocent or honest? That's innocent, honest, and I would say, I mean, because the counterpoint was the opportunities which I chose, genuinely led to massive success, right? Because I was also able to say that because I was there in the Indian government, my ability to impact like literally 600 million people were there. Hmm. And some of that was backed by data also from Indian government that this is how we have progressed in terms of yeah. sanitation outcomes. So talk to um, us about that because that's one aspect of the essay, what matters to you. They also like to, most uh, business schools also want to ask, what have you really achieved? Where do you want to go? Right. So how did you uh, so write I think, that? Yeah, achievement is very, very important to Stanford. I think they would in one way or the other, whether it be in essays or in your profile, which you want to call it your resume, or even in, in the application form, they want like absolute evidence of you have achieved something. So evidence meaning data? Evidence meaning data, and one, even if you cannot have 
data, it should be observable. Mm. One thing which a lot of people may sometimes there are softer things which you really, really cannot measure. Yeah. Like if we're improving health outcome, it definitely takes 10 years. But if you can sincerely tell them that, okay, this has been observable, I think a school like Stanford and my sense is others also would tend to believe that, okay, you are telling us a sincere version of your own story and we believe in that. Um, second thing which I think Stanford really values and what I was struggling with, like how do I differentiate myself also? Yeah. And I had always considered myself somebody to be stepping up on problems. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you mean by that? So Stanford wants people who don't sit, um, even if it's... That's why you run so much, right? Yeah. That is, like, one, one of the reasons is definitely that. I yeah. think solving any problem just requires you to step up and, like, take certain amount of risk, offend people also. When you have a problem, you end up thinking, and when you end up thinking, you end up leading to solutions also. Mm. So if one is that problems are coming your way, which are, you are supposed to solve, one is you identifying problems and then taking even the smallest steps, possible to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. So I wrote about them that these are not problems which came my way, but some of them, I had some of them, not all of them, some of them I had identified and I felt the need to step up or even work on weekends and give a personal life at that point of time to Mm -hmm. uh, make the case that I really like problem solving. I mean, many of the times there have been instances where I've been lazy in life also, but there have been times where I genuinely cared, okay, like this can be improved. So So if you were to, and this is obviously speculation, Mm -hmm. but if you were to understand what differentiated you from uh, other applicants, what would that be? Is it problem solving? Is it your choices? Is it both? Is it something else? So one thing was... I would say consistency of these choices over a prolonged period of time. I mean, this was something I was demonstrating to them at least since class 10th and 11th, if not from childhood onwards. A lot of people are able to do that, that they're living life by their own rules since childhood itself. Those are the most compelling candidates. Those are the most powerful, most potent candidates for Stanford. But I think what really differentiated me for whenever I wrote these stories, they formed a theme for a prolonged period of time. And I... And I think when you tell people that, okay, I've done this, 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 they at least start seeing a pattern. And when that pattern emerges, they at least call you for an interview. Okay, at least we want to meet you. And then we'll see where it goes from there, whether you have really done this or you're just making this stuff up. Right. And many uh, many of these applications also talk about failure. Mm-hmm. So uh, did you, how did you think of writing that? Uh, was that a question in your in your year? So Stanford does not explicitly ask for where you have failed, and but there have been like me, like monumental failures in my life also. Some of which I reflected in the optional thing. I mean, the are you comfortable thing. talking about? Oh, it? very very comfortable. Yeah. So they they give you the opportunity to explain like if you've had something horribly go wrong. Stanford cares about grades. Like I will be very very honest. They do not want you to have like perfect grades, but they want you to show some intellectual vitality by showing that you care, like you are sincere enough. I was not sincere enough in my first and second year of college. All my computer programming grades were Ds and Es, literally. So I wrote two lines saying that these grades appear on my transcript. I have absolutely no excuse for my poor performance, but if you remove them, my GPA will go up. So I literally wrote these three lines that I have absolutely no excuse for them, but then what that had offset was I had a decent GMAT of 740. Mm-hmm. Again, not a stellar one, I said 50, 60, but 
combined with my GP and GMAT, I think that I consider by Indian standards, it is difficult. Like when when you have that bad grades in first or second year, you really need to offset it by something else or a, yeah. and a really excellent GMAT slash GRE score. Yeah. So one accepting those failures because Stanford would have had those questions. Ki, you do not have the most stellar GPA. Why should we get you in? Right. So accepting that and not being vulnerable, but just saying like I have absolutely no excuses. I just did not study at that point of time. Yeah. Health, I would say. Um, and my recommenders, I think, when I discussed with them that I would want you to talk about... How did you choose your rec referees? So, one was my one was the person who I directly worked with in the Indian government, like one of the joint secretaries, uh, I call her Radha Ma'am. So she was overseeing my own leadership of those 450 young professionals which I had formulated. So she was able to write that how I designed the program, how I recruited these people, how these people performed, what kind of challenges I was able to help these people out with, what kind of challenges I faced. And she also knew that these are the weaknesses with this guy. Like, and she can write honestly about them. Mm -hmm. And so she was able to do that. Second, I chose uh, my boss at Tata Trust, Venkat. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was the managing trustee of the Tata Trust. And I thought these two people would make for uh, to excellent candidates who know me really well and who are very, very invested in my success, of course, and they would want me to go to someplace nice. Right. And they ended up writing my recommendations. Uh, I was confused because I had worked for Accenture also. That question naturally came to my mind that can I have the managing director of Accenture or my previous manager, senior manager, write one instead of uh, these two people from Similar backgrounds. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and talk about the same story or similar stories. Correct. Um, this is what I realized. Letters of recommendation are one of the least important aspects of the Stanford MBA, I think. Talk about radical candor in a podcast. Um, I think this is it. Yeah. As long as, as long as they do not project you in extremely negative light. Then you did a great job of picking those referees, right? You pick somebody and they talk horrible about you. That means it's saying a lot about your own decision. Your making. own judgment, right? Yeah. And you shouldn't get in then. Business, business schools are smart. They know, like, letters of recommendation are padded to an extent, if not completely padded, yeah. right? So they would also know that as long as you have no significant negative references, you're okay. They would search for... I mean, they would typically search for ethics. The deal breakers are horrible interpersonal skills. All of us struggle interpersonally. Horrible interpersonal skills are a deal breaker. In a business in, in school, my, it can be challenging. In, in a business yeah. school, they can be challenging. But on on the flip side, I think the letters of recommendation, my letters of recommendation, I did not have access to them, but whatever I discussed and collaborated that would you be able to talk about these certain qualities of mine, mm -hmm. which actually differentiate me from other people, which I think would be very helpful. And my recommenders were very open with me to collaborating, right? And You mean, did you write reference points for them or discuss it not with even them? Those. Okay. Not even those. So, I mean, naturally, everybody gets tempted. Can I give you something? Can I? My recommenders, I was also fortunate that they were smart enough to write these on their own, in their own language, mm -hmm. because they were articulate with their thoughts, they were articulate with, with their words also, which, and that's why I was comfortably, very, very comfortable telling them that, okay, go ahead. Because these recommenders had also submitted previous mm -hmm. recommendations, so they knew how yeah. the system works. 
and they would not beat around the bush they would keep in the word limit and that's that's how pretty much i chose my letters of recommendation right and these two people and yeah i and then, uh, most essays also ask you to reflect on your goals post post the mba yeah so how do you think about those questions so that's that's the second part of the stanford application what matters most is all about your past who are you as a person yeah. in the past yeah why stanford is all about future yeah Stanford does not care about whether you want to be a product manager, entrepreneur, politician. They want you and they wanted me also to say which is the problem you are most passionate about. Let's say you let's say I was passionate about healthcare delivery or healthcare implementation. I want to I said that I wanted to be a leader who solves the healthcare implementation problem in India and these are the four or five sub problems which I identify and my post MBA goals are literally aimed at solving these four or five sub problems which lead to the further solving of the healthcare delivery problem right so because i myself was not sure about my post mba goals but writing that that i have absolutely no clue did not make sense hmm. and neither do their advice yeah. but they want to know that this is an issue you care about mm-hmm. you have thought about this issue this issue has four or five sub issues stanford will help you in four or five different ways and this four or five sub issues and you will be able to solve that larger problem which you have talked about right so that is that is how i that's the framework about, that you thought that for that is the framework i also thought about post mba and do you have any general advice for people who are looking to uh, either think about let, let's not just talk about post mba but mm. like future goals how should they go about so this speaking from personal experience um I have always wanted to rise above mediocre masses which I generally consider that the traditional companies which come for recruiting I will actively say no to them mm. this is a very irrational choice very unevidenced thought process you mean mass recruiters right mass recruiters yeah um because I have always been thinking that at least the period of 25 to 35 are the best years of my life my post mba goals should literally be on how many lives i can influence positively through my own behavior mm-hmm. and which i would say at least i would want to do millions because i've had the opportunity of doing that before can i do that before can i do that after mba also so naturally two i mean two two themes emerged to me one was politics and governance i thought incredibly gratifying field and second was entrepreneurship so that way it came very very naturally to me mm. that these two paths lead to lead to a career where i can i can achieve that aim of influencing millions of lives positively right so that's how i thought and that's how i wrote about it also that i would i would want to lead certain initiatives which help me achieve this kind of goal and if i am to give very prescriptive advice on how to come up with future or career goals i would say that this is this is very standard advice i think whatever gives you meaning and whatever if you you feel responsible for mm-hmm. not happiness i think that western trope of we should strive for something which is which gives us happiness is wrong i think whatever gives you meaning in life you can figure that out and whatever you feel responsible for i think i think we are all searching for meaning i've written about it this as well that you know meaning uh, you know outscores uh, happiness by a large factor correct i think i consider myself to be very fortunate if i get happiness on the way i'm very very fortunate mm. because little bit digression like i do consider life as a fatal disease it's not easy to live it's like filled with suffering burden and so 
Like, who was it? John Maynard Keynes, right? Life yeah. is nasty, brutish, and short. Yeah. I, I'm thinking I'm, it was him, but yeah. So that way I thought if I'm only going to consider my own happiness and choose a career goal which makes me happy, then I will get into that same idea of money, fame, power, triangle, whatever, how do I want to optimize two of them or three of them. So I said, skip that. Like, What gives me meaning is I love talking to people. I love addressing large gatherings. Like how I love making people smile through humor, love doing silly stuff. Like how can I combine all of them? Hmm. What makes sense? So that way entrepreneurship naturally emerged. And for other people, it is, it can be as simple as literally having decent amount of money. I, I have immense respect for people who are money. When I say they are driven by exceptional amount of wealth, they just want to amass exceptional amount of wealth mm-hmm. on a risk adjusted basis. Not take too much risk, but go for the highest paying job also. Because they have clarity. Like I think they are, or some people are in that phase of life where it would, it would gratify them to a certain extent. I think that would change in their own life in the future, but how I personally went about it was what is giving me meaning, which was talking to other people, helping them realize, giving meaning to others' lives also. Something which is also mentioned on the network capitalist cover photo, mm-hmm. I think. So that's that's how I chose future goals. Um, and then I was aimed at problem solving and not on And you've trained yourself to become a good problem solver. That's one thing that I see from undergrad to now by actively picking problems that require uh, problem solving, critical thinking. You've become better at it. That's how you become good at anything. Correct. Some of these times it was just saying yes, like, okay, let's just do this and not saying enough no. Um, because I like that sense of adventure and problem also. Whatever, it, there might be failure, there might be success, but there can be success. Hmm. So I was motivated by that there might, they might be light at the end of the tunnel. So that kind of problem solving was definitely attractive. It's still very, very attractive. We'll come to that in case studies in business yeah. schools. But tell me, uh, was there any non-work stuff that you wrote, wrote about in your application? Or should people write about that? Non-work related stuff? For example, I act and I debate and I had written about it extensively. It worked for me. I would say not even required. I think Stanford wants to know you have a personality outside work or you have a personality that you care. Yeah. Because outside work is at least one third of your life, if not more. Mm-hmm. So they would want to know what are you doing outside of work. I, I wrote, like when I was approaching this, I wrote about how I was managing my university's angel investment fund and how I had been doing that one same single activity for five years by helping some of the entrepreneurs who were coming out of bits mm-hmm. and helping them raise small amounts of seed funding. Some of which, some of the companies which then had gone on to become bigger. Right. So I told them that this is one activity which keeps me excited because they, I consider it no greater privilege than to learn from experts in their field. Mm. So I wrote about that and I think Stanford definitely values outside of work personality and if there is one thing which you have continued doing for four or five years, extremely I think powerful. it's so important. Extremely like if you powerful. pick up a hobby three months before the deadline, I mean, it's not necessarily speaking volumes about the impact that you can have. Correct. Um, for the interview, did you, when you finished your application mm-hmm. and uh, hit the submit button, mm-hmm. did you think you would get an interview call? I was 
I was not underconfident. Okay, that's great. That I had an inkling that this is a powerful enough application because somewhere down the line I thought things are falling into place. I've carefully, I've carefully filled out the form. The form is also very important, which like I'm more than happy to talk about. I thought. No, talk, please tell us about it. Because I think the form itself is fifty percent of the application. Much more important than letters of recommendation. Do you guys know what form he's talking about? Because yeah. the form has short, 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 question. short answer questions. People also. often think that it's only the five hundred and thousand words, but it's half of the application. Sixty oh, yes. percent is those small answer questions. Yes, I'll give you a very small example of what's there in the application form. So they would ask, and this is where they would ask, "What are your post MBA goals?" Um, and I think a great, or like at least a good answer to post MBA goals is, I w- let's say somebody wants to be a management consultant. I want to be a management consultant in the healthcare field so that I can solve A, B, C, D, E, F problem. And articulating it in this way that why do you want to pick up a certain field so that it gives you X, Y, Z skills, which will then help you in your own achievement of bigger goals helps. They like Stanford always ask like pick an instance where should people write I want to work at McKinsey or X or Y. Or should just they should just stick to management consulting? It's a it's a personal choice. I did not write. I I just what did you I, what did you write? Roughly? I, I I wrote that I want to work in a healthcare firm, okay. which gives me exposure <clears throat> to collaboration between public and private sector agencies, mm-hmm. which gives me exposure to how capital is allocated in the healthcare business, how payer and provider solution works across the globe and in India as well. So that way, like these three or four things I had written down that a healthcare firm should be able to give me these execution skills. Right. So then, then, lar- then the larger point of becoming a healthcare leader at least is strengthened. Yeah. So I wrote, I wrote these things, but I know like many of my friends have written that I want to join a firm such as McKinsey and BCG in their social impact division doing X, Y, Z. People have written that. Mm. And that has worked. Yeah. It depends. I mean, the way I read this question or most questions in business school is that they want to know the thought process. They want to know consistency of decision making. They know that you've spoken to enough people to know roughly what it looks like. And I think every, all of these business schools sort of know that you can change your goal. I mean, they're not expecting to literally, you will, nobody will hold you accountable. They just want to see that... uh, uh, if, uh, if do you have some sort of uh, consistency in decision making or not and I think either is fine but do know that if you write a company name then you're like you're just like narrowing the pool a little bit there are some people who go that route for example I know some people who are in I want to be the prime minister of country X and uh, and go on and do and then they wrote the explanation of why their career led to that goal and it worked for them and for this very similar without the rationale it didn't work for them so depends on what you've uh, what you want to strive. Yes, yeah, so just staying on that. Any any other piece of advice on this? I mean, in terms of, I I've always at least whenever people have come up to me and asked like, what are those two essays all about? I've always looked at it as one essay because it flows. If if so, when you submit the essays, you have to paste them in one file. When an essay reader at Stanford, and they call them gatekeepers there, do an exceptional job. When they read your essay, mm. 
they read what matters most to you and why, hmm. they immediately go on to why Stanford. Hmm. If there's a major disconnect between where you're ending and where you're starting, it is a yellow flag, if not a red flag. Right. They are one essay because you're going from past to future. Hmm. And there has to be some some logic behind both of them. Right. I would say like if if people can consider both these essays as one, A, it will be easier to write. Second, it will be easier to convince Stanford also that hmm. you have thought through this. Excellent advice. I think that's it, the entire application is one one mega structure that you should uh, keep in mind. Um, so he was not underconfident for his uh, application, which is great. It it doesn't show anything else but good preparation. When the interview call came, how did you go about uh, uh, preparing for it, and how do you think your interview went? So this is where I want to be candid. Yeah. I don't think the Stanford interview matters okay. in selection. They are looking for validation of communication skills. And they're looking for general themes of validation, which they don't know. I do not know. This is my sense. Um, the Stanford interview. But you obviously, now that you've gotten in, you have much more insight. But when you yes, got when the I, yes, call. Yes, yes. Yeah. So when I, like, when I got the call, I think I knew that I wanted to prepare three or four times with my own self and my own friends on three major questions, which I think everybody should prepare. Why Stanford, why now, why MBA? These are asked in one same breath. In different by, words by all schools. In different words by all schools. And I think to have a very compelling answer on why now, why Stanford, why MBA helps. I'll try and give an example of how I went on preparing each of these. Why now? My answer was simple that I am at a phase of life where I've seen some success, some failures, but I also have some ambition which I do not want it to die down. One year waiting would mean that ambition dies down. Love it. Excellent. Um, I did not apply last year because I thought that this is the right time to apply and I, I now can contribute to the class also. Yeah. Last year I was not prepared. So that way that fine balance of last year versus the next year versus now now. So that's So with I, this you perfected timing. So that way like it made sense that okay, yeah. if I wait, I just do not want my ambition to die down. My mm. ambition is at its peak. Mm. Um why MBA was again I took the problem solving approach because I said that I'm at that wonderful phase of my life where I've seen all these things which are leading to my goal of becoming a healthcare leader. And one point is staying in my current role while very, very gratifying is going to slow me down. Hmm. So I was candid enough to word it carefully also that I want to have more <coughs> impact and more success hmm. by taking the MBA because it's going to give me four edges, which were behavioral, analytical, information, and technical. So hmm. that's how I said, which is like I gave it an acronym like BAIT. <laughs> that behavioral, so, and the, which is kind of true also. Which it's is, an incredible one, by the way. Which yeah. is, which is, which is, I would say that what the MBA is about, at least in these days, initially it was all about hard skills, but now I would say behavioral because when you're surrounded by exceptionally smart people, you tend to analyze people in general and evaluate people. It's a bad word, but like I hope people get the gist of it. You get to interact with so many people so that you get to evaluate people better also. Makes great investors, that's how they pick up great people also. You start identifying skills versus non-skilled people. Yeah. Um, 
analytically because those are the hard skills part and i think you just become more analytical in your thinking information because you have the best in class information flow at that point of time 90 different countries 400 different people or hbss 1000 different people and other schools when they come together sit in a classroom at one single point of time for two years or one year or whatever the time frame is the information flow is best in class that will not be replicated and i think that is what stanford harvard or any business school charges you that much for that we have created this unique context for you yeah. which is so hard to create technical again i say like if there were skills which you thought okay i want to become a great seo expert or data scientist or a great marketer so those kind of technical skills can also be honed in the mba not all people i would say that need all of these skills but i'd say that they will give me edges in all these four hmm. uh dimensions so that's how i position that why i want to do an mba because mba will give me this bait edge right. behavioral analytical information technical hmm. um the last was by stanford um by stanford was also like fairly straightforward for me saying that because of because of these of because these goals are very very clear in my head Stanford is very uniquely positioned to offer me these courses. Now, one thing about Stanford here is Stanford loves hearing about its courses, not about its clubs, not about its organizations, or about its network or access to Silicon Valley, mm. because those are, I think, those are old tropes now. They are valid, but unless and until you have a very compelling reason why you want to be around Silicon Valley, right. do not write about that. Yeah. Do not write about clubs and organizations. because stanford's clubs and organization culture not its strongest point mm-hmm. people engage more with academics people engage more with experiences people engage more with each other to think about how do we grow each other those are the most and stanford prides itself on having or producing leaders with exceptionally high emotional intelligence so those those are the unique selling points of stanford also given given the drastic decline in the value of mba they're fo- solely focused on leadership and that's how i also said that this is why i want to do stanford yeah and layer it with two or three extremely compelling courses one of which is interpersonal dynamics in which you have a safe space you have a t group of 12 different odd people and you have private conversations on how you're feeling how your actions impact me how do you give feedback to other people how you get feedback yeah. and that is like so that is one of the most defining courses of stanford and i wrote about that and and i said that this is how it's going to help me so that's how i addressed the interview question of which did come up by the way why now why mba why stanford and second was preparing the stories well i think um in a very structured format mm. i knew that most of my stories are going to be questioned and i'd much rather have a very bullet point list which i had prepared and then i'll form sentences around the same uh and i was careful enough to not memorize them but practice them three to four times so that i know that it's not robotic mm. but at that same point of time i have thought these through right and the and the form like the structure of them were challenge action result this was a challenge i faced in my life this is the action i took hmm. and this is where the result was yeah so and i prepared three or four stories which i could fit into different kind of questions yeah and i did that three or four or times so 
that was that was pretty much interview preparation yeah and i made sure that i did that with friends because they were able to give me candid feedback and i reached out to my old colleagues to know that am i missing out critical oh. pieces of information that's about it did you think your interview went well even though right it may not be the um clincher i was not supremely confident after my interview because it is very fast paced my my like i i always had that feeling i could have said more i could have said less i could have said more i could have said less so did i ace it no but i think what i was really proud of was that i was honest that this is what i do not know this was advice also given to me by one of my stanford seniors that if you don't know anything just say that you don't know so one of my interviewers asked me because i was working on the swachh bharat program hmm. he said what if this government goes away what happens to your program then and have you thought about the sustainability of such project in general right, right. now tata trust is doing so much more work so much money is being put in mm-hmm. right so at that point of time i said i said to my interviewer that yes that is like that is a very compelling question i unfortunately had not thought through the sustainability aspect i was so focused on getting stuff done in a project mode and quick execution that planning had taken a back seat and i had i have not thought through some of these issues and moving on yeah so i just said this and you typically write a thank you message at the end of the interview please do that all of you yeah and so at the thank you message i made it a point to say that your question on sustainability really made me think and i think whenever i go forward in my life i would layer get stuff done attitude with some bit of planning if not if not complete planning because you can get in, lost into planning planning yeah. planning also that's what i wrote in my thank you message and yeah, i and think I, i think that might have done and also i think this uh, this message is not only thoughtful it's honest and it's it's memorable a lot of the interviews tend to be very generic like if you're sitting on the other side you're basically tired of people talking about the same classes or similar things of high achievers talking a b c d it gets boring but when something like this happens somebody's acknowledging yeah i don't know but i'll think about it um i think it's if nothing else it's memorable and you'll not forget the candidate something that you might want to keep in mind just the last two questions before the other members you guys can ask questions off the record what does an average day at stanford look like i know for a fact there's no average day in an mba student's life but still like ballpark what does it look like and how is the experience preparing you for what do you think you will do post stanford right i will try and answer this from a generic and from a personal standpoint also my personal days wake up between 5 to 6 am i waste a little bit of time on my computer doing something something then i would then i then i do go for my run and i think then depending on when the classes start i would go for my classes and typically classes go on till 4 5 maximum 6 in the evening mm. there are few courses which have late night classes but um stanford is a fairly relaxing program i get enough like anybody can get decent amount of enough sleep if they prioritize studies and other experiences as well so yes after coming back at 6 i think i have dinner and then i again would do something either interact with my roommates discuss how the day was and or either 
go back to reading something or listening to a podcast or doing doing something productive i think that's what my typical day is most for most people i would say it's the same except that many of my classmates and peers are slightly more academically inclined than i am mm-hmm. so <clears throat> the amount of time they would put into assignments or case studies or preparation for classes more than what i would mm-hmm. um like i listen to case studies from text to speech so that i can remember the main point whereas others would choose to read it because i think that saves time for me and that's how i adopt but out like one of these one of these days i would end up studying but mostly not so much outdoors or running or maintaining fit fi- maintaining fitness and keeping healthy is a big part of stanford's culture in general so all of us which are 400 in number um i would say spend a significant amount of time keeping fit being outdoors keeping healthy and that that does form uh, an integral part of the culture also mm-hmm. but apart from that i think i would in in a typical week 3 to 4 hours i would meet some other people meet other friends ask them how their day was engage in the random small talk and see if i can have slightly more relaxed conversations mm. which i've tended to get better at times and i find that annoying also but yeah that's that's <laughs> typically what typically what a day at stanford would look like Um, and how's the experience prepping you i think i'll tell you like my major learnings like my highest learnings have been skyrocketing of self confidence uh same with risk tolerance also uh i'm able to say no, no to very very lucrative opportunities with fair bit of ease i would say um and third i would say is that having been around that group of 400 odd people i have come to cement my own strengths so now what i'm focusing on and for my future also is how can those strengths become from 8 on 10 to 10 on 10 mm-hmm. and how do i not let me excessively focus on my weaknesses so that mm-hmm. previously i used to do like if my weakness is minus 2 like minus 3 i would wanted to bring it to 6 or 7 i've stopped doing that and i think prioritization of time and an insatiable curiosity about how things work i have received from stanford and i they're very very unquantifiable and i think these are massive massive predictors of success and success is very subjective that way but i i owe these i i definitely owe these characteristics to stanford Do you think you will uh end up in healthcare doing what you said you would do in your application? So I'm like I'm working on two ideas right now. One focused on producing more number of high quality nurses in India, something which I would want to do right after graduation if things work out. And the second was a coaching and mentoring platform for US adolescents to prevent mental health disorders from happening. So you're already in the middle of working yes. on it. Yes. But yes, it it has been a very genuine struggle also because uh I do not have a technology background um getting started there and solving those kind of problems is is also hard yeah 
and I'm working on both of them and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that by the time I graduate in June I have some professional direction in either of these two ideas if yeah. not then I'll evaluate what else can I do yeah I just want to say that you know it's been such a pleasure listening to you. Um, you've you've made the entire application process and the entire st- structure of figuring careers accessible to a lot of our people. Now we're going to turn the mic off mm-hmm. and let's get off record. Let's make radical candor to the next level. Okay. Okay.